Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. show that takes you inside things in a different way, a superficial, shallow surface way, and then deep down into the bowels, and another sense. That's, that's the way we do it around here. And so... That's right. My name, my name is Rashawn Merle, and your name is what? My what name, is your name? My name is Rashawn Merle. No, you're... No, no that's, that's my name. What is your name? Uh, my name is Alex Riddle. Alex Riddle, huh? Nice to meet you. Ready to go deep and go deep suddenly without any warning? That's how I like to do it. Oh, good. Okay, so, um, you know what's in the news? All kinds of stuff. That's right, all kinds of stuff there. Floods and, and droughts. And um, Speaking of droughts, <laughs> there's a drought on the Supreme Court. Do you see what I did there? Um, we in the business call that a segue. Impressive, right? Um, there you go. That's exactly what I thought, too. Um, the Supreme Court has a drought um, because your favorite Supreme Court justice, not mine, mine was Clarence Thomas, but your favorite Supreme Court justice, well, he, he left this planet. Um, My fa- mine? Yes. Or was that to the audience? No, that's, that's you, Alex Riddle, who thought his name was Rashawn Murrow. He's gone. He's no longer with us. And he's been no longer with us for, oh, a good 10 months, give or take. And quite a while. You know, the Supreme Court justice has nine justices for a reason. One of the reasons is because the number was um, upped from seven before, and now it's nine a long time ago. And now the ninth justice gives kind of a tie-breaking vote in case of a very close Supreme Court case. Mm -hmm. And now there's only eight justices because one of the nine is, well, of course, no longer with us. And it's up to the president, of course, to nominate a Supreme Court justice to the U.S. Supreme Court. As you well know, as an avid news watcher for the past 10 months, there has been a refusal by Congress to approve, to advise and consent, if you will, of the Supreme Court justice that was nominated. This this Merrick Garland character who now falls into the annals of history as, as one commentator put it, a Jeopardy question. Uh, because he <laughs> has no relevance in our jurisprudence in the Supreme Court now because he never got it uh, confirmed and never will. <clears throat> However, we've got Donald Trump coming in in a little while, and he's going to nominate uh, a Supreme Court justice. I bet you can't wait. You're on the edge of your seat, aren't you? I think we all are. Speaking on behalf of the American people. Well, they, <laughs> they don't call you American people, Alex, for nothing now, do they? And 
Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason for uh, that. Not for nothing. And this is precisely the reason. Um, so there's a, a pretty big Supreme Court nomination on the way. And with every Supreme Court nomination, there's always a battle. Great responsibility. Well, there's that. And there's also a battle on the Hill, the Capitol Hill, if you will. The Senate specifically in the, the confirmation hearing of said Supreme Court justice. Now, as you might imagine, uh, yeah, this uh, nomination process is giving the, the left liberals, progressives, Democrat, uh, and all of their ilk, quite the consternation. Um, of course. And uh, if you want liberal ilk consternation, there's no better place to go than the Daily Coast. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think America would agree with that. The uh, consternation is real, y'all. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's the Texas version of the liberal consternation. <laughs> if, it's, uh, if it's the New York version of consternation, it's uh, the consternation is real. Because that is how they talk in New York. Um, just um, so you know. Yeah. Just so you know. That's... Uh, I'll give you about a 40% on that one. <laughs> okay. and that's, that's generous. <laughs> well, <laughs> they don't call you generous gene for nothing, now do they? <laughs> don't call me at all. <laughs> okay, fine. They do call you that for nothing. <laughs> there, you happy now? Also not an accurate statement calm about reality. Down. Let's, let's calm down, please. Let's go <laughs> to the Daily Coast. This, this guy apparently named Coast. He suggests that the Senate Democrats should filibuster Donald Trump's Supreme Court nominee for four years. Now, we'll get to why that could never happen in a moment, i.e. <laughs> we'll read his article where he basically admits that that will never happen. Um, but first, um, let's look at the reasoning behind this uh, uh, obstructionism in the works before we even get a, a president sworn into office, the President Trump. The reason for that is because uh, this character, we'll call him Coase, he somehow believes the election was illegitimate, the one of Donald Trump, of course. In fact, he says, when a government is legitimately elected, you oppose it. You are the loyal opposition. When a government is illegitimately elected, you resist it. Today, we are the resistance. And that means standing in the way of everything that illegitimate government does. Now, if we stop there for a moment, just that, that snippet. This sounds like a rejected uh, speech from, like, the, you know, the new Star Wars movie. <laughs> like, the, the script writer was like, that sucks. We can't put that in the movie. Would that have been in the crawl at the beginning of the movie and it got rejected? Uh, yeah, maybe. But the the premise the premise here of this entire article is that the election was illegitimate now right. obviously in this country we have a system that uh, we use to elect our president we use the electoral college you see and in the, the 2016 election one candidate got uh, more than half of all the electoral college votes i.e. 270 and that one was Donald Trump mhm and he did it in a legitimate way in fact, there were gadflies out there, whatever that means, i.e. Jill Stein, who tried to force a recount in the closest states that Donald Trump won. By the way, not in the closest states that Hillary Clinton won, uh, like Minnesota and New Hampshire, just the ones that Donald Trump won very narrowly. Mm-hmm. And after the recount was done, well, they didn't do a recount in Michigan because the courts there 
um, rejected the, the phoniness of the Jill Stein argument that she had no standing to bring anything because she was at 1% and had no chance of winning. But leave that aside. In, in, uh, in Wisconsin, where she did con those people into granting a recount, uh, Donald Trump actually gained a net of 131 or so votes. So uh, there we go with that. But anyway, the recount sug- suggests and affirm that the election indeed was legitimate. But this character is saying it was the, illegitimate. Yeah, like the one of the problems with uh, coming into these sort of uh, these places like, you know, um, who have their, their loyal readership and uh, they're very much speaking to that loyal readership. I.e. preaching it to the choir. I, <laughs> you know, you might even call it that. Um, the... You know, you come in and you, without uh, prior knowledge of what the hell they're talking about, like, uh-oh, 8.44 a.m., y'all. You would not believe the words um, that I didn't say just now. This is why you don't <laughs> eat porridge right before a radio show. Um, no one does that. Okay. Uh, anyway, so you don't have the background. You don't have the context. So you don't really know what this person means by illegitimately elected. I mean... I guess they're talking about the electoral college, right? They they're, they're, they're the, talking about the system is illegitimate. The left in general is jumping up and down, flailing their arms in the air over the fact that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, yet Donald Trump was elected president. Therefore, the election was illegitimate in their view. They apparently have not read the Constitution, so, <laughs> and they they hardly ever do, to be fair. Yeah. So I mean, so so that's it. That's that's all it is. If if you lose the popular vote and win the election, then so that's probably the overarching argument. There's other arguments saying that this FBI director by the name of James Comey interfered with the election by mm-hmm. you know, opening in a, what they call a bogus FBI investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails. Um, there's also the idea that Russia hacked into the DNC and John Podesta and released all those emails day by day. And, you know, these things kind of add up to uh, a view of the losers, a view of the illegitimate election. Now, of course, when Donald Trump was saying that the election was rigged, my, my, how far have we come? When he was saying the election was rigged, um, (laughs) they were jumping up and down saying, this is outrageous. How dare you call this totally legitimate electoral process rigged? And now, uh, since Donald Trump won, why? Right, right. But again, that's neither here nor there. That's just the rank hypocrisy on display by certain segments of the population. But that is what the left writ large calls uh, an illegitimate election. And now this Coase character doesn't specify and terrible arguments he makes about why the election was illegitimate. But we can assume that it had something to do with one or more of those factors. Yeah, and um, well... Sure, like there's the claim that it's the uh, the uh, election is illegitimate, and then but then he goes on um, to uh, refer to to, uh, to today we are the resistance. Um, that's his quote, um, aka you know the reformed rebel alliance. Um, so uh, it's very Star Warsy. It's very Star. It's very Star He's Wars. Anticipating the Rogue One. It's, it's maybe a little bit uh, Confederate. Well, or or that too. <laughs> maybe, we, maybe we should talk it talk about it like that. Maybe you guys should just secede. I hear there's a precedent for that. Well, there was a Cal exit movement that was trending on Twitter right after the election. I know. And like, 
you know, taking, I mean, like that's just really taking cues from, uh, uh, the people that would have called racist <laughs> trying to, you know, get Texas to, to secede, for example. Y'all. Um, y'all. Um, and then he says, uh, and that, I guess, the resistance means standing in the way of everything that's in italics that illegitimate government does, um, which, I mean, you know, uh, all things considered, uh, seems like not what, like, what, what will that accomplish? Um, I remember... Uh, you know, very recently in the past, you know, during the Obama years, um, the uh, gridlock and, uh, you know, all the the general slowness of the Senate and the person speaking right now, um, the House to accomplish anything. And uh, this being just like uh, blamed on the Republicans and how they were called obstructionists. How how could they do this, you know? Um, well, there's also, you know, they're blamed for being racist to a black president. They just don't want a black man to succeed. Oh, yeah. That was another aspect. The, but now the Democrats don't want an orange man to succeed, so they're just as racist. <laughs> exactly. Like, what? <laughs> oh, man. Well, anyway. It would appear as though, um, you know, this guy does not understand uh, how this election works. Um, and so he starts this, uh, this very short piece off with this premise. And he goes back to um, what Senator Cruz said about the Merrick Garland nomination, saying that there is a precedent for a Supreme Court with fewer than nine justices. Well, yeah, because the Supreme Court didn't always have nine justices. Uh, there were times when it had fewer than nine justices. Um, that's not to say that... Uh, we should or should not have uh, fewer than nine justices, but it's happened before is the point. But that really doesn't um, <laughs> that doesn't really help this particular argument because the premise of this argument is not that there is a precedent for fewer than nine justices. The premise of his argument is that the election was illegitimate, and so if the president-elect nominates a Supreme Court um, nominee, we should oppose it based on that. Um, so... You know, I read this, I immediately thought of the reasons why this would never happen, but then I didn't need to articulate them because this Coast <laughs> character goes on to say why this will never happen, which is, I find very interesting, and yet he's, he's jumping up and down saying people should do this. You know, he says that uh, we should obstruct, and by we I mean they, they should obstruct any Trump nominee on the Supreme Court until either of these things happens. One, we have a president elected by at least a plurality of the American people. So, again, that's not how the election works. It's by the person who gets a majority of electoral college votes. That's how it's um, always worked. Um, and there are reasons for that which we can get into, but um, you can go look them up for your own self because I have other things to talk about. Um, number two, the Republicans win a filibuster-proof majority in 2018. Well, that actually is very possible, Um because there are a lot of Democrats up in very red states in 2018 and a lot of states that Donald Trump won this time around. So it's extremely possible that the Democrats, who have, the Republicans who have 52 seats in the Senate right now could easily pick up another eight seats in 2018 if Donald Trump doesn't uh, ruin his presidency the first two years, um, uh, the first two years. And then the third reason is that the Republicans eliminate the filibuster, which, you know, the Democrats did 
eliminate the filibuster for lower court judges um, back in 2013. Harry Reid did that. So speaking of precedents, there is a precedent for eliminating the filibuster in the Senate. Yeah. And uh, the Republicans could very easily do that very quickly if the Democrats decided to take the stand on all Supreme Court nominees. And that would not last anywhere near four years. Um, also, I just wanted to say for the record um, that uh, just to give you some indication of how shoddily this article was written, he says, uh, you know, obstruct until either of these things happens and then lists three points. <laughs> That is your, so, your daily Lenny P. Linguist lives, linguistic lesson for you folks out there. Try saying that five times yeah, fast. You can't. What a subversive publication. I have they're, no idea what that word they're means. They're sub- subverting basic uh, you know, grammar. <laughs> That's cool. Grammar, logic, common sense. Yeah. Um, also, the, this idea of we have a president elected by at least a plurality of the American people. I assume he basically means majority um, only. A plural plurality is not the same thing as majority, and um, right. I imagine he wants a president that the majority of the American people did not vote for. That's I, what he wants. I imagine that he chose that uh, word specifically because uh, it's weaselly and basically doesn't mean anything. Well, um, he chose it because he's bending over backwards to illegitimize, if you will, uh, this election, and it just uh, can't be done because the election was won legitimately. And so, oh yeah, also the fake news thing. Do we talk about that? Well, yeah, as <laughs> as if that uh, to me that's such a that's such a tenuous argument, <laughs> whatever that word means, because there's been fake news around since <laughs> news has been around, right? So, um, you know, the left called you know gossip or you know like that telephone hole game. Yeah. Have ever played that? It's like <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's literally since. It was by Since you were in third math. grade, you've been hearing about fake news. Yeah. Um, so the left blames everything under the sun except Hillary Clinton for Hillary Clinton's loss. Um, newsflash to Hillary Clinton's loss. <laughs> so um, why are they so afraid of the Supreme Court nominees in particular? Is there something about uh, Donald Trump's uh, uh, philosophy about Supreme Court justices that would cause them to be so concerned about Donald Trump? Well, actually, um, yes, that's, that's part of the reason. But, you know, the first reason is that Hillary Clinton in one of the debates, the last one in Las Vegas, said that she wanted a Supreme Court justice that would basically go around and fulfilling her left-wing causes and, um, you know, looking out for this group or that group or implementing or that policy. Um, not necessarily someone who would uphold the Constitution. She never used the word Constitution <clears throat> in that. Um, Donald Trump actually laid out a case for why he thought um, what he thought about a Supreme Court justice and what kind of qualifications that that person should have. And, you know, he did ultimately end up becoming the president, as we all know. And so um, he got to he got the ability to choose who he wanted to. And we actually have a clip of a Donald Trump. Um, talking about a Supreme Court justices. So if we go to our fancy schmancy audio vault, we can play that right about now. The Supreme Court, it's what it's all about. Our country is so, so, it's just so imperative that we have the right justices. Something happened recently where Justice Ginsburg uh, made some very, very inappropriate 
statements toward me and toward a tremendous number of people, many, many millions of people that I represent. And she was forced to apologize, and apologize she did. But these were statements that should never, ever have been made. We need a Supreme Court that, in my opinion, is going to uphold the Second Amendment, and all amendments, but the Second Amendment, which is under absolute siege. Uh, I believe if my opponent should win this race, which I truly don't think will happen, uh, we will have a Second Amendment, which will be a very, very small replica of what it is right now. But I feel that it's absolutely important that we uphold because of the fact that it is under such uh, trauma. Uh, I feel that the uh, justices that I am going to appoint, and I've named 20 of them, the justices that I'm going to appoint will be pro-life. They will have a conservative bent. Uh, they will be protecting the Second Amendment. They are great scholars in all cases, and they're people of tremendous respect. They will interpret the Constitution the way the founders wanted it interpreted, and I believe that's very, very important. I don't think we should have justices appointed that decide what they want to hear. It's all about the Constitution of, of and, and so important, the Constitution the way it was meant to be, and those are the people that I will appoint. So, you know, that uh, it took a while to get to the well there. But uh, uh, at the very end, he talked about uh, Supreme Court justices who interpreted the Constitution the way it was meant to be now. Um, and fancy pantsy man, and fancy, fancy pants man, Harlan. Hmm. Again, these Harlan's English is difficult. Uh, that's called an originalist, someone who looks at the intent of the founders or the or uses the founders original intent to try to determine what the uh the founders wanted when they drafted the constitution or what the legislator meant when they drafted the statute that's uh, at issue in the supreme court uh, case um so um, you know he said he wanted a pro-life justice well you know a pro-life justice is peachy keen but you really want a justice who follows the constitution um and what was meant when it was written not necessarily someone who has certain policy prescriptions, but, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton was all about right. uh, things like that. She wanted a, you know, a pro-choice justice, a justice who didn't follow the second amendment text so closely and so narrowly. Um, so she was, she didn't say anything about the constitution and that's basically what the left wants. The left wants uh, a backdoor legislator in the Supreme court. And, uh, you know, that's sounds raunchy. <laughs> so again, this is, uh, this is almost ten o'clock Eastern in the morning, and you're talking about uh, raunchy things. I don't, I don't think the kids who are hey, in airports. You brought up backdoor legislator. <laughs> yes, I, I admittedly did. But that, that was admittedly meant something different than what you apparently meant. But uh, we'll leave that for now. Um, and so, you know, Donald Trump is going to be appointing uh, people uh, off this list that he put out during the campaign. Um, and the people on the list are going to have a certain judicial philosophy. Most of them um, are in the originalist vein, if you will. Um, now, people have different ideas of who a Supreme Court justice should be, what kind of philosophies they should hold. You know, I have my views. What are your views about a Supreme Court justice nominee? What kind of philosophy should they hold? 
What are your views? You just said you have views. I don't have views. <laughs> you, so I'd rather you just, can't see. I'd rather we just start with. You don't your have views. eyes. You don't view things. Um. No. That's not. Are what, you blind? That's not what views are. It's not. What do you mean? It's not what views are. I've I've seen views in that context many a time. I've been around the block. Um. Probably. T- have you been to the back door? <laughs> You've been around the block to the back door. <laughs> I have gone in. To a back door once or twice, but again, I don't see why that's relevant at all. It's uh, you know, buildings have multiple doors. Why just go into the front, right? There's more than one way to get inside. That's take advantage of what you got there. You just keep talking. <laughs> I'm going to change everything's going swimmingly <laughs> the subject and get into George Leafs. He is um, he's not on a tree. He's actually a writer for Forbes. Um, Forbes magazine is uh, one of the big. Uh, businessy slash politics type magazines out there and and a recent Forbes article online uh for all, for all of you getting this under a rock yeah uh, if you're Patrick Starr that's what I'm talking to clearly um he talks about what he wants in a Supreme Court justice and he not just wants an originalist he not only wants an originalist but he also wants someone who doesn't feel bound by the the concept of Starry decisive. Ooh, look at me with my fancy schmancy Latin. Uh, I'm Latin Larry in, in high school, that I was known as uh, because I could say the word starry decisive. So that's why they called me Latin Larry. Um, they'd be like, hey, it's old Latin Larry coming. How you doing, Latin? And I'd be like, uh, please call me Rashawn. <laughs> so I can't tell you how many times that happened because it didn't happen at all. That's, that's why I can tell you how many times. But anyway, uh, this person, Mr. Leaf, says that, uh, you know, Supreme Court justice shouldn't be bound by stare decisis. Um, that, of course, is the idea that you use past Supreme Court case precedent to determine future Supreme Court cases uh, that uh, come up, obviously, in the future. It's uh, one of those fancy schmancy Latin words that means let the decision stand. Now... That's, uh, you know, good for, I suppose, stability and predictability. But on the other hand, it's the opposite of good for, oh, I don't know, correcting bad precedents. We've seen time and time again, this, the Supreme Court has uh, rendered very bad decisions, like in Plessy v. Ferguson, which uh, all you in your social studies classes might know out there, was the Supreme Court case that enshrined in Supreme Court jurisprudence the separate but equal doctrine uh, it was used in uh, uh, school segregation cases and it upheld the constitutionality of segregating public schools on the basis of uh, there being uh, one institution for white people and that being just as equal as the institutions for black people even though in practicality in reality they're the white people got the much fancier schmancier digs than the black people did the Black people got, uh, well, the bottom of the barrel stuff here. Um, and so that is an example of uh, where you should not let the decision stand. You should let the decision fall, and fall it did in the Brown v. Board of Education case. So that's what George Leaf is saying, that we shouldn't just be bound by decisions in the past that don't uphold the, the uh, originalist view of the Constitution, the founder's intent. Um, so which side of the debate are you on? Do you think that we should just let the decisions stand when we create uh, these new Supreme Court decisions, or should we let the decisions fall? 
And I don't know the Latin for that. Sorry about that. Um, we should look that up. The um, I I um, I definitely see the benefit in uh, you know order and uh, consistency, but um, don't forget predictability. Predictability, just you know, any other words you got, just throw them in there. Pudding. Um, uh, yum. Uh, making me hungry now. The but even um, after that big old bowl of porridge, lost my train of thought. Shoot you. Um, <laughs> what are we talking about? Uh, look, there's a butterfly. Okay, let's get back to the. There's a plant. Supreme Court. Uh, should we let so the decision I, stand? I see the benefit of the order, but um, I uh, the your example was the classic example. Um, obviously. Uh, the Supreme Court should be able to overturn its own mistakes and shouldn't be bound to them. Um, so to be clear, the Supreme Court can overturn its prior decisions now, but the the practice and the the what they do most often is they use the doctrine of stare decisis. So this guy is saying, throw stare decisis out the window. Uh, don't uh, mm-hmm. feel bound by decisions in the past that uh, didn't follow the Constitution. You know, they're are those out there who say that Roe v. Wade, whatever you may think of uh, the abortion issue, but just on the constitutionality of it alone, you know, that was a very um, badly decided decision on constitutional grounds. You know, they, they right, bent right. over backwards to create this right to privacy by kind of picking off some of the different amendments in the Constitution and amalgamating them into this new fangled right, the right to privacy that didn't actually exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that would be the perversion, they say, of uh, what the, the founders would have wanted in the Constitution and the one that, th- that was written. Um, so, you know, that's why he's saying this George Lee character, forget this star decisis nonsense. For every Supreme Court case that comes to the court, that's, that's, um, constitutional in nature look to the constitution each and every time to see what the founders intended when you write it so that is his mm-hmm. argument but then it, you know mm-hmm. it's difficult That's for true. lower courts to <clears throat> kind of uh, predict where the supreme court's going to be um what they would rule when they're ruling on these cases because the cases go through the lower courts first and then get to the supreme court if the supreme court decides to take the case and um it's difficult to know you know what the Supreme Court would say on something because everyone's got their own interpretation of the constitution, unfortunately. So, right. So, so basically this, uh, this is, uh, this doctrine, um, what leaf is, uh, proposing is go back to the constitution. Every time you make a new decision, every time the Supreme court makes a new decision rather than the Supreme court's, uh, precedent or, uh, history or whatever. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So that's pretty simple. Um, that's, uh, I mean, that, that almost seems to be like encompassed by the term originalist. Uh, but I guess it's sort of a, sort of like a secondary, like a step two. Right. That he says, um, you know, um, well, actually he quotes, he quotes another person by the name of Randy Barnett, who was a, as you know, a Georgetown University law professor. And uh, that as they, a matter of fact, that's that's your favorite law professor in, in at least on the East Coast. Um, and Mr. Barnett says that there should be two 
crucial. Um, then word I can't pronounce because it's a very big word for Trump's Supreme Court nomination. One. What page is this on? <laughs> it's only one page of the article. It's, it's on the internet, so it's only one page. Uh, uh, minus three pages. Oh well. You Did should, you not get you to the page new two? browser? <laughs> There's only one page on mine, Buster. So I don't know what page you're looking at. Um. Oh wait, there are there are three pages. I'm on page one. <laughs> so. Um. Anyway. This Barnett character says that uh, uh, judges who follow the stare decisis maxim are not inclined to overturn precedents. And while there is much to be said for stare decisis in most fields of law, stability and predictability are important. After all, that isn't the case when it comes to constitutional rights. Erroneous decisions of the past should be reexamined whenever called into question. Um, And then... uh, he goes on to say that judges who blindly adhere to stare decisis help to cement in place the vast federal administrative and regulatory state that often sacrifices individual rights on the altar of collectivist and authoritarian policies. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, the Constitution has enshrined a, a full entire bill chock full of rights. And uh, those rights prevent the government from doing things to us that they shouldn't be doing. And if you, you know, mm-hmm. just make up new things and change what the Constitution actually says, then you are in danger of eroding those rights. You give the government far more expansive power, as with the, the commerce power, to regulate interstate commerce, what is um, sold across state lines. That power, especially uh, throughout the 20th century, was vastly expanded with the help of the Supreme Court. Um, but, you know, if they had followed the Constitution and the original uh, intent of what the Constitution says, then, you know, that power very likely would not have been expanded so much to give the government so much power. And, you know, there are issues with the First Amendment of free speech, uh, freedom of the press, um, that uh, the Supreme Court has grappled with over this, the, you know, well, really the centuries, um, how, to what extent should the government be able to regulate speech or the press? Um, you know, the press has a source. What are the, what are the sources vital to um, solving a crime? Does the, does the media person have to reveal that source? Um, can you shout fire in a movie theater? Well, they said that, no, you can't. Um, can you carry around a bazooka? Because the Second Amendment says you have the right to bear arms. Well, the Supreme Court, under, under the aforementioned Antonin Scalia, said no, there are actually limits on the kinds of firearms you can carry. Um, um, what do police officers have to do before they search your house? You know, what, kinds of, what, if they, what if they're searching your car? Can they just search your car if they stop you for a speeding? And then what if they find you know, marijuana in your trunk? I mean, what gives them to, how far can they go and just search without a search warrant? You know, that's the Fourth Amendment of you know, unreasonable searches and seizures. Um, we talk about uh, the Eighth Amendment. What constitutes cruel and unusual punishment? Is, is lethal injection cruel and unusual punishment? You know, what if the, the injection doesn't uh, kill him right away? Uh, what if he suffers? Does that, you know, constitute cruel and unusual punishment? How far can the government go? So these are like big questions that the Supreme Court has to deal with all the time. And you want to make sure that you have a stable foundation in what the founders intended when you interpret these uh, complex decisions. Because if you 
give the government the power to just, um, you know, make up things and make up rights for the government that aren't in the Constitution, why, you could very well go to what Mr. Barnett and Mr. Leaf uh, consider an authoritarian state because, you know, rights are eroded to such a degree that, you know, at some point there are no rights, uh, at least the way they're originally supposed to be. And so that's what Mr. Leaf is saying here. Right. So we can get some stability from the Constitution itself rather than from, uh, you know, a uh, precedent kind of situation. Exactly. And, you know, past Supreme Courts were made up with people with, you know, more progressive judicial philosophies. You know, mm-hmm. during the New Deal era, the president tried to really stack the Supreme Court and the lower courts with progressives. Um in order to be able to kind of rubber stamp some of the, the programs that he was pushing through. And so, you know, if you have a Supreme Court uh, that uh, has a majority of progressives or people who don't uh, adhere to the Constitution who view it as a, quote, living a document that can be changed, why, why in the world should you have to follow those bad precedents? You should use the Constitution now and forget this stare decisis. And so it'll be interesting to see if Donald Trump can appoint uh, one, two, three, maybe four Supreme Court justices, you know, how far will the court go to getting rid of stare decisis? Will it ever do that? We shall see, and time will tell, as they say. Um, but you seem to be a, a pretty big fan of uh, keeping stare decisis. Is that correct? I don't know what makes you say that. Well, because of the what you just talked about, the predictability of the stare decisis a few minutes ago. Right. So that that's what uh Leaf is saying is a good thing in general for uh is that for what like you law are saying for is a good society, thing? right? And what I just said was uh originalism or going back to the constitution every time provides some stability. You don't need to rely on stare decisis if you do this. <laughs> right? That's what that's what I was saying. I see. So that's good. <laughs> um, uh, now, uh, the question then becomes, who exactly are the people that Donald Trump is going to nominate? I mean, he said a point in that clip, but he's actually nominating people that have to be given advice and consent to by the sentence, the Senate or the sentence, uh, either one. If he can get a sentence that will confirm his Supreme Court nominees, that would be PGG. But I think he has to go through the Senate at the very least. And so... You know, cable news network, which is your favorite news network and certainly not mine, um, compiled a list, a very helpful list. Some would say a fancy schmancy list, 21 um, or 22, if you count Ted Cruz, uh, people that uh, Donald Trump has said. I never count Ted Cruz. Well, he's your senator, so you, you really should. Oh. Okay, so I'm glad we settled that. Um they have to compile a list of uh, some of the people that uh, are actually all the people that Donald Trump is, has put on this list of possible nominees. Um, and since the election, he has reiterated the idea that he will stick to this list when choosing with whom he will replace the great, the late great Antonin Scalia. And so, you know, the, f- the first uh, person that they highlight is this guy by the name of William Pryor. Uh, well, as you know, being the the circuit court enthusiast that you are, you know very well that he sits in the eleventh circuit, the court of appeals. Now, for the for the plebiscites out there, Alex, please uh, explain what part of the country the eleventh circuit is in. Go ahead, go ahead and tell them. Well, it looks to me like it's uh, Louisiana. <laughs> 
so that's a great joke, Alex. You were just joking because you very well know that Louisiana is in the Fifth Circuit. But go ahead and tell them where oh, man. the Eleventh Circuit is. Go ahead, tell them. Man, you know, I was so sure about what I just said. <laughs> You're such a I'm jokester. Not, uh, <laughs> oh, man. What a comedian you are. Go ahead. Tell them where the Eleventh the Circuit, the part of the country that that's in. Go ahead. Tell them. What are you doing with your hand there? <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is a prodding motion to prod you. To go ahead and tell them. Have you ever prodded anything before? <laughs> well, uh, we can talk about that off the air, if you don't mind. Mm, that backdoor <laughs> legislation. <laughs> so, as Alex was saying, the, the 11th Circuit is in the southeast part of the country. It encompasses Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. So, this is where uh, this row, this uh, William Pryor character sits in. According to the Cable News Network, he would be a dream candidate for many conservatives. He's a 54-year-old staunch conservative who once called the, 17, the 1973 landmark abortion decision, Roe v. Wade, the, quote, worst abomination in the history of constitutional law. He, of course, was nominated by uh, George Bush and uh, was very adamant about this uh, characterization of Roe v. Wade, even when he was uh, in his own confirmation hearing for his 11th Circuit gig. Um, and that really goes to kind of what I explained earlier about uh, how that decision came about. And so, you know, that's one choice. Then another choice, is, by the way, what do you think about uh, Mr. Pryor? Is that, uh, is that on your wish list for Supreme Court justices? Santa, can you bring me a William Pryor? <laughs> Who let that kid in here? Yeah, this is, a, this is an adult show. This is very, we're, we're adults here. Just barely, though. Um, just barely. Um, I mean, I don't know anything about him except for, uh, according to CNN, William Pryor, uh, colon, Roe v. Wade equals abomination. <laughs> so, uh, Would you like to see Roe v. Wade overturned? Do you think it's an abomination in the way it was decided? Um, the, Being a constitutional scholar that you are. The okay, so I'm not sure I agree with him. Roe v. Wade is the worst abomination in the history of constitutional law. What would you say is the worst abomination in the history um, of constitutional law? For example, I feel like Plessy v. Ferguson might be worse, you know, maybe. Um, so not sure I agree with him on that. However, uh, yeah, you know, if you could overturn that, that'd be great, that'd be cool. <laughs> okay. Cool. Cool beans, yo. Cool, uh, y'all. There's also Diane Sykes. Um, she's 58 and a breath of fresh air to many conservatives. Um, and she, um, she interviewed Clarence Thomas at the Federalist Society, which is kind of a conservative lawyer slash law student's uh, paradise. Uh, believe me, I know. Um, and uh, it kind of showed that she is a very staunch constitutionalist. Um, she's from Marquette University Law School, um, and up in Wisconsin, or Wisconsin, as they would say in Wisconsin. Um, and she up, uh, voted to uphold the voter ID law. You know, that law that says, that horribly racist law that says, hey, show that you're the person you say you are when you vote. It's, it's man, that's, that's the most racist thing since Emmett Till, I, I'll tell you. Oh, boy. Um, and for the record, to bring things back to the beginning of this episode, um, the election was illegitimate, but uh, voter ID laws are also illegitimate. Um, 
which is something that seems like it would be more of a secure measure for, uh, you know, making these elections make sense. Uh, plurality. Uh, let, me ask you, let me ask you a question now. Why do you hate black people so much? You know, just um, they've never been nice to me. And by they, I mean you. <laughs> that That is not an unfair point. Um, uh, so she's for the uh, voter ID law. Um, by the way, the Supreme Court uh, already upheld a, a voter ID law case uh, in the last decade. And uh, she sided with the closely held corporations in a challenge to Obamacare's contraception mandate, which mandates employers to cover um, birth control. Uh, and, um, you know, there are certain corporations that believe that uh, the pill is, um, you know, a form of abortion because after the uh, egg is fertilized, then uh, that's conception, and they think that uh, life begins at conception. Um, and, you know, if we're going to draw a bright, a bright red line as to where life the, begins, that's not a bad place to start. Fertilizing uh, or conception? Those are those so are let's two pretend that they're the same thing and not try to show me up on my own show. I'd appreciate that. Um, so that's the conception we're just gonna say. And um, God, and you wonder and, why I hate black people. <laughs> I, oh man. Um, so maybe she'll be in if she's um, fifty-eight, and we want someone who's gonna be in there a long time. But uh, no, she'll be in twenty, fifteen, twenty years, I think. Um, then there's. Raymond Kethledge, uh, who clerked for Justice Kennedy. Uh, Anthony Kennedy, by the way, has been a very squishy middle-of-the-road, not-so-conservative justice, so I'm really not sure about this guy. Um, He rejected a Fourth Amendment claim from two defendants who were convicted of several robberies based on records from their wireless carriers. Um, So that's an interesting way to try to define who a robber is by looking at their, their cell phone records without a warrant. That would be interesting. So it's apparently um, not for expanding government power under the Fourth Amendment, which is always a good thing. Then there's Joan Larson. Ooh, Joan Larson, clerk for Justice Scalia, known as a dark horse. Wow, that's, that's racist, too. Jeez. Um, she hasn't been on the bench that long, but um, apparently she has some conservative rulings. We've got uh, uh, who do we have next, Alex? Are are you uh, asking me to say his name because yes. you don't know how to say it? I mean, that's... I don't know how to say it. Steve Colleton, Collet, Colin, Steve Colin, Steve Colotin, Steve Coloshin. I I don't know. How do you say that? We'll pretend that's the way. That Steve Cottontail. Steve Cottontail. Steve Cottontail. Yes. What is notable about this guy? Uh, he's from Iowa. Another George W. Bush appointee, which uh, seems to be a common theme. Um, uh, DC insider, uh, Ivy Leaguer. Um, uh, and he, he worked praised... for Kenneth Starr, who did the Bill Clinton investigation. So that's interesting. All right, cool. Praised by Senator Chuck Grassley as uh, being, quote, extremely well qualified. Well, if uh, Chuck Grassley says it, then. It must be true. That's what I always say. Who's next? Um, uh, is this an, another person whose name you can't pronounce? Just to say, who's next? Neil Gorsuch. Gor- Gorsuch? Gor- Gor- Gorsuch. Let's say Gorsuch. 
Gorsuch. What do we know about this guy? Uh, another Ivy Leaguer. Um, serves on the 10th Circuit. Uh, let's see. It says It says here... He's been critical of judges giving too much deference to federal agencies as well as the issue of criminalization. So I'm down with that. That sounds cool. If we'd had him in the Obama era, then there would have been a lot more overturning of some of these rulings by some of these uh, agencies, like the EPA, for example. Mm-hmm. Next. Um, wow. All right. Amul Thapar. Uh, sure. Um, Amul Thapar. Who is he? Uh, District Court Judge, Eastern District of Kentucky. Um, Let's see. says he was born in Michigan and served in government as well as private practice. He would bring trial court experience. In 2007, he was the first South Asian American to be named an article to an Article Three federal judge. Now, it's interesting that he would bring trial court experience because... Obviously, the Supreme Court is as far removed from the trial court as you get in in the uh, judicial system. Mm-hmm. This is this is appellate court experience all the way. I would think that one would need because you know, trial would have happened a long time ago by the time you get to the Supreme Court. So that is yes. fascinating uh, if that is qualified. It seems like he's pretty young. Um, maybe he's just sort of a... And he's got a bit of melanin in him, apparently. Yeah. So maybe he's sort of a token. Let's check the box. Yeah. Um, Senator Mike Lee from Utah. Um, he has no melanin, um, but he's a Tea Party favorite. He's a strong critic of Donald Trump during the, the primaries and the general election, quite frankly. After that Access Hollywood video, he uh, put together a very shoddily produced like Facebook video telling Donald Trump to drop out with his face like right into the camera. Um, because when old folks try to use young folks' technology, that's what happens. Just uh, PSA for all you old folks. Did out you there. see Ben Carson trying to play the piano? I did not. Oh, I heard his wife sing though, but I it's horrific. <laughs> Facebook Live. <laughs> okay. Um, well, Ben Carson and I are like two peas in some sort of. Well, do tell. Um, actually, I'm going to retract the comment. Um, now, Senator Lee uh, didn't support Trump, but he is a very staunch constitutionalist and would uh, give conservatives great joy. There's also our very own Don Willett of Texas. Texas. Yeah. He's a Supreme Court justice here, and he uh, tweets quite a bit. He's actually very witty with his tweets, and uh, he, he'll, he'll tweet a meme or a gif or any sort of other type of thing. Um, he's very well known for that, and he actually called Donald Trump Darth Trump at one point. So Hilarious. That's interesting. Um, that would be very funny. We've also got David Strass, who clerked for uh, Justice Thomas, who actually is my favorite justice, and has written extensively about the Constitution and um, things like that. He had a, an opinion on the confirmation process in a book that he wrote, or a book review essay, saying, amidst greater polarization in American politics, the process for nominating and confirming federal judges has become more political than ever. And boy, oh boy, has it ever. You know, back in the day, back in the Reagan era, um, the, the Senate would basically kind of rubber stamp the, the president's choice, unless it was uh, really, really extreme, because they figure that uh, elections have consequences and the president gets to choose who he wants for the Supreme Court and we'll just go right along. But nowadays, uh, yeah, ever since maybe the Clarence Thomas fiasco, you know, it's been one partisan battle 
a close, narrow majority uh, confirmation after another. And we expect the same with Donald Trump if we listen to the Daily Coast at all, anyway. Um, Thomas Hardiman um, cited Justice Scalia in his uh, gun control decision, um, and he disagreed with the New Jersey court that prohibited handgun possession without a permit. Um, So is is handgun possession without a permit something that uh, you're okay with, A-Rig? Uh, on constitutional grounds, anyway. Um, handgun possession without a permit. Uh, I mean, uh, frankly, uh, yes. You tell. So, um, well, how about you? Well, I want to see. I don't know why you agree. Why you think what you think first before we get to me? Hmm? Why do you think that it's uh, a okay? Frankly, you said frankly as if you're kind of sheepishly tiptoeing your way into that position. Um, yeah, frankly, it's okay with me. But why? Uh, uh, possession is not carrying it around. Possession is nine-tenths of the law, as they say. Although that might be in a different uh, context than, than this particular. Interesting. So, yeah. You know, if we're going to follow the Constitution the way the founders intended, then we should be able to carry handguns with or without a permit. And so did... Mr. Hardiman believe. Uh, Possess handguns, not necessarily carry them. That's what this is about. Yes. Um, but even in New Jersey, we couldn't even possess handguns. And by we, I mean they. Next up is Raymond and Grinder. Grinder. Straight out of, not Compton, but the Eighth Circuit. Um, and he um, was being attacked, was being attacked for his supposed hostility to the Women's right to access reproductive care. By access, just so we're clear, that means someone else should pay for it and they should get it for free. That's what access means in this particular case, just so we're clear. Um, Grinder thinks that you should pay for things that you buy um, when it comes to um, your nether regions if you're a female. Mm-hmm. And I would think for males too because, you know, the males have nether regions too, I'm told. I haven't verified that, but that's what I'm told. Even after all your years legislating? Going through the back door? Yeah, even after that, yeah. Man. Um, he's also... Uh, Sometimes we just like keep our eyes closed and just you know gut it up and do it, right? Oh, well... Not pay attention to our surroundings. I like going in with my eyes wide open, actually. Well, then I can't explain how you missed... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, up there with the great pyramids of the great mysteries of the world. Um, he's also uh, well, actually, this uh, conception contraception case surrounded a female employee, um, where he cited against that employee whose prescription contraception was not covered by the company plan. Grinder said that the railroad company's denial of coverage for contraception for both sexes did not discriminate against his female employees. So, okay, I was right. He doesn't want uh, you paying for other people's contraception, whether they be male or female. Now, Margaret Ryan, uh, then another choice of Trump's, is um, a military um, person in that she is a former active duty Marine who serves in the communications office as a communications officer, also a judge advocate, and an aide-de-camp, whatever that means. So... You know, she served in 
Desert Shield and Desert Storm. So that'd be one tough cookie, as they say, as a Supreme Court justice. Um, what, uh, what military operations have you served in, Alex? Operation Backdoor Legislation. <laughs> you know how to take a joke and make it recurring um, like no one else. Uh, that's, that's for darn sure. Um, and then there's the wild card of Ted Cruz. Uh, he actually was not on the list for whatever reason, probably because, uh, you know, that was during the primaries, the, the tail end of the primaries, um, after Cruz had dropped out, but, but before the convention where Donald Trump first came up with his list for the first part of it. Um, you know, I don't think there would be a whole lot of complaining by conservatives at the very least, um, even though he wasn't really on the list and Donald Trump promised to nominate from the list. Um, and even some Senate Democrats might not mind this because it would get Ted Cruz, their arch nemesis of the Senate. Yeah. You know, Ted Cruz was blamed for the government shutdown um, in 2013, even though, you know, the senator can't uh, mm-hmm. unilaterally shut down the government. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, I, I think this would be a very interesting move. Why is that? If you, if you did that. Um, well, it says right here. I mean, you were just touching on this, but uh, it would uh, kill two potential birds with one stone. Um, it would be appointing a conservative and at the same time clearing him out of the uh, political arena. Because, um, you know, Ted, everyone hates Ted Cruz, basically, um, in politics, um, you know, left and right. Um, you how mean left and right? No. That's what you mean. What? <laughs> left and rhino. And rhino. Republican in name only, as you know. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Ugh. Um, so that's what I say to rhinos too. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Rhinos. So anyway, um, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, if Trump were to do that, I think conservatives would really get behind that because he's, uh, definitely, he's got the conservative, uh, yeah, credentials, um, (laughs) and, uh, um, even what what about the fact that it wasn't on the list, he promised to nominate from the list. That that's true. That's true. So he's probably not going to do it, but I think it would be a very interesting move. Maybe he'll do it on the second go around. If uh, we've got a lot of old justices, we've got to Stephen Breyer and Ruth Bader Ginsburg and yeah, Clarence Thomas. And people are dropping like flies. We don't wish ill, obviously, in our Supreme Court. You just compared them to fossils. <laughs> well, fossils are very rare and valuable findings by archaeologists, obviously. So come on. <laughs> So um, the Supreme Court battle is coming up in January, and that'll be a great uh, spectacle to watch. Um, And coming up for us next week is our big Christmas-themed show where we recount all the the fancy-schmancy Christmas memories that we have and look forward as to what Santa Claus is going to bring us um, this year. So don't miss that. It's going to be great. But for now, sudden death is suddenly off the air. Bye now. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. 
Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 